0: It's a bad world out here. So take solace in a word on Solace Radio. You know, a verse that we just read from uh and one Yochanon, first John, says, Dear friends, don't trust every spirit. On the contrary, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. These many false prophets have gone into the world. And here is how you recognize the spirit of God, every spirit which acknowledges that Yeshua the Messiah comes as a human being, is from God, and every spirit which does not acknowledge issue is not from God. That's a pretty simple test if we'll use it. If we're honest with that test, it will separate our flesh from the truth. It will separate us from deceit, not only of the world, but of our own selves. A lot of us struggle with hearing the right spirit. We all are tempted by the wrong spirit. But we do have a test for it, and anything that's contrary to the Word of God is not God. But we need to make sure that we take things in context to be able to determine whether what we're hearing is true. And that that is a big challenge. If we don't know the Word very well, you're going to have a hard time determining what's true. Avinu Malcano, our Father, our King, Lord, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, Lord, would only be of You. Whatever is of the flesh, You would strike it. Whatever is of the Ruach, the Spirit, that i miss, You'd bring it forth. I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. So we're, this is part four, study of the book of Revelation. And I thought I would start, well, at least Holy Spirit, Said to start, start to look at the community of Pergamos, um, and the reason is that that we can see a lot of parallels in this church as we or this messianic community as we've seen in the others uh, that we currently live in. So from Revelation 2:13 through 16:8, it says, "I know where you are living, there where the adversary's throne is." Hmm, interesting, right? This is a messianic community. And the Lord is saying, I know where you live and it's where the adversary lives. That's not a good start. Yet you are holding onto my name. Negative, positive. Alright, how do we figure that out? You did not deny trusting me even at that time when my, when my faithful witness Antipas was put to death in your town. There, there where the adversary lives. Verse 14, nevertheless I have a few things against you. You have some people who hold to the teachings of Balaam. Does everyone remember Balaam? Balaam. Right. He's the one that uh, ta- you know, taunted and distracted Israel into sin with uh, women that were not of, of Israel, who taught Balak to set up a trap for the people of Israel so that they would eat food that had been sacrificed to idols and commit sexual sin. Likewise, you too are people who hold to the teachings of the Nicolotians. Verse 16, Therefore turn from, the, turn from these sins. Well, that's one little good thing, yet within the midst of all that is all this sin. And I'm afraid, not afraid, but the truth is we are in the midst of that as well. Um, every time you rationalize something with the Lord, you are in this mess right here. Um, they're compromising, they're double-minded. They're saying they're faithful to the name of the Lord, but their actions aren't very faithful. Or I think we're probably all guilty of that. Uh, and, but clearly, once we, our obligation is to recognize where we are double-minded and fall short and to change, to repent and to move from that Um, So, some ways, it's a saying that, um, you know, i got some issues with you, uh, you've been somewhat faithful, but I need for you to see what you're doing, and I need you to change. I have these things against you. So, what are the teachings of the Nicolotians? Most of you probably don't even know who they are, but the issue here is specific issues in sexual liberties. Does that sound familiar? We live in a culture of sexual liberties and homosexual liberties. And we are being pounded by it, including the body of Messiah. Sexual immorality is not just outside the body, it is in the body. We have most mainline denominations of Protestant denominations that endorse homosexuality. Conservative and Reformed Judaism also embrace homosexuality. And there's many other variations out there that do endorse it. We find find ourselves in the midst of sexual liberties. We find ourselves with the same problems of of the community at Pergamos. So we can't just read it and go, "Wow, they were really screwed up." We are them because we dwell in the midst of it. So we are them. You can't. We can't in the body of Messiah ignore what's going on in the body of Messiah. We read from the readings that we don't judge outside the world, but we are judges within our community. And if you say you're a believer, you're part of my community. We're supposed to not. We don't beat people up necessarily, but we point out, we help, we exhort, we encourage, we help with solutions. But we don't embrace sin. We don't go to a whorehouse to try and pull people that are in there out. That might sound inviting for some, but that's not. We don't do that. We don't expose ourselves to that sin when we find it. But it is in the midst of us and we need to be careful that we, if somebody professes to be a believer and, but they don't act like a believer, we're to treat them as an unbeliever. That's why Yeshua says, get them out. Get them out. Don't even eat with them. He's not talking about strangers. He's talking about people Says he knew them. We have to be very, very on guard for what we allow and what we find ourselves in association with because many times we are guilty by association or we are guilty by just not saying anything we believe that person is a believer of those persons. But we also need to be wise to realize that the world is not our problem. That's Yeshua's deal. So we have this battle within the community to judge or not judge. We don't judge. Oh, you can't judge me. We don't judge you. We do judge each other if we are believers and we exhort each other in love to beat that sin. So we're, we, as a body, suffer from the same disease as they did 2,000 years ago. You think after 2,000 years with the Lord, something would have gotten better, right? Now it has, but it's a bit intangible. right? immortality and new bodies and all that stuff, it's a bit intangible for us. We can't touch it now. It's there. It's, a real, it's reality. It's true. But we live still in this fallen world, right? So it's easier to touch the, 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 the wickedness than it is to touch the good stuff, right? But he's warning us because the, the, the church at Pergamos, the community at Pergamus, they, they, are, they are giving in to the evil. Maybe not by directly doing it, but by association with it and it not being addressed it's why here with the best of my ability of the leadership i address those kinds of sins we don't let those sins stand we have to these are sins these are abomination sins because they affect whole communities and we can't let that stand and unfortunately we live in the body of messiah where it's going on all around us and we all you know, there's a tendency to want to be an ostrich right don't get involved don't get involved churches split over this stuff synagogues split over these things the first presbyterian church is all split In fact, I'm going to a meeting next Wednesday for the First Presbyterian Church in Bethlehem. It's a huge church and they're splitting because most of them want to go with the liberal policies and a large minority want to go with what the Word of God says. Communities. Communities are made up of people and as a community, we we should have the understanding that as a community that we are here to help enforce the Lord's standards. Not only for ourselves personally and our personal families, but for the community that we have an obligation in our testimony that we, our testimony would be that we stand up for the Lord's standards. That wasn't happening, happening in the community of Pergamon. What about us? Do we stand up for that standard? Well, we try to, and people have left because of that standard. Is it grieving when people leave? Yes. But as a community, we all, and me being at the top, are responsible for all the sheep. And if one or two decide that they're just going to go, they're going to go. Can they be welcomed back? Yes. Yeah. After they repented or changed, we have an obligation as believers to understand God's standards and to live up to them. Those that do, those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying in the Messianic communities. To him winning the victory, I will give some of the hidden manna. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. If we don't, judgment is just around the corner for all of us that are complacent in our obligations to lead the community. Judgment, because we don't know when the Lord is coming, judgment for us should always be just around the corner. And why is that important? Because we are so Satan keeps us so busy, we're not thinking about what's around the corner. Are we? We really most people don't. Does anybody get up in the morning and say, oh, "Oh my gosh, Lord, are you returning today?" I'd say most of us don't. I don't. I sure am thinking it every time I read the news though or watch something on TV or whatever. I'm going, "Lord, how close are you?" Then you start looking, you know, is the antichrist in the world already and have I missed it? Because it sure seems like he's around. If it's this bad now, just think how bad it's going to be when the anti-Messiah shows up. Just think about it. It's going to be horrible, and then for three and a half years it's going to be a little better, and then the you-know-what hits the fan. So when, like with all Scripture, we need to look at, at, at the, simple, the, the simple meaning, the basic meaning, the parshot of the text. The most important understanding of the text is the simple meaning of the text. What it meant to the readers at the time what it meant by the person delivering that word uh, from the Lord, that we would understand the parshat of the text. And and that is no different in the book of Revelation, that we can understand what is the simple meaning of the text that Yeshua has revealed to John in order for us to understand not only the condition of, of the Messianic community then, but now. Because if we don't, we are going to allegorize it away. And we're always going to view ourselves better than we are. That's what happens. When we, resi- res- when we rely on the flesh, the flesh is always going to tell you that you're better than you are. He says, pride. Good. Feeling good. Looking good. I haven't sinned since last night. I'm doing good. And the only reason you didn't sin last night is because you just slept all night. Well, that's not a sin for having bad dreams. But, I mean, if we really look at it that way... We, we tend to operate that way. And, and we tend to marginalize or rationalize the parshat, the, the simple meaning of the text. And that's why I teach it all the time. What is the parshat? Everybody wants to know about all the other stuff. And I want to teach. If we, There's no sense in teaching allegory or all kinds of copied things and different things and variations. If we don't understand what the text means right now, right then to us, then there's no point in knowing the other things. Because then we're going to not correctly place those texts. Because we're going to change what they mean. If we don't understand the parshat of the text, we are going to change what it means. And that's exactly what has happened in the church community today. We have taken all the bite out of the text because we've changed it because it's not the parshat of the text. One of the keys of of the whole book of Revelation is that it points to the heart intent of people. Clearly it reveals God's heart intent as Scripture always does. But the book of Revelation is pointing to the... The heart intent of people and where they were 2,000 years ago approximately and where they were 1,000 years ago and where they were 500 years ago and where they are now and where they will be until the coming of the Messiah. Well, that's, that, we, we should be able to understand that. We can wrap our arms around that. that the, this text is talking about us and it's talking about how consistently the body of Messiah has issues. When we stop looking at the text and pointing our fingers at the seven church communities or the seven messianic communities and start doing this, we might get it. We all rationalize, I'm bad, but I'm not nearly as bad as they are. Who's raised on that? The Israelites were really bad. I'm better. (laughs) If we are all the same, made in God's image, then my guess is pretty good that we are a lot like the Israelites were, or the pagans that came before us, or the pagans that are here now. What's, the heart intent. What is our heart intent? And so Revelation is looking at us. It's showing us something. And it, it, it's really actually talking to us, just like the rest of the Scripture does. So what is our motivation? What is our motivation? Are we willing to pursue holiness? Because that's what the, the conversations to these church communities are, these Messianic communities, is what is their heart intent? And what is their pursuit of holiness or the lack of it? And we need to direct that exact right to us. What is our willingness to pursue holiness? And Revelation is revealing how unholy they are in the condition that they find themselves. in. And maybe you know we all tend to be blind and when we're in the midst of sin, it's harder to see it. So the Lord gives John this revelation to talk to these communities or to believers in general for all time and says, where do you fit in in all these things? And you need to see yourself as you really are. Hard to do. We don't like looking at ourselves. It's a lot easier to point at somebody else, isn't it? You know, get the plank out of that, get that splinter out of somebody's eye, and not bother with the one I have. I don't have one. I'm blind, but I I can see perfectly what other people are doing. There's there's no accountability when we're trying to bring somebody else to their knees and change them, but not ourselves first. Especially if we don't recognize we have the problem. Right? I'm good. Well, that's a world standard. I'm good. The only reason we are good is because in Messiah through His blood we are good. But in the human, in just the fleshly condition, we're just as lousy as the rest of the rest of the world. And that's not a knock on us. It's just that if we understand where we're positioned, if we think that we are better than the seven messianic communities that this is directed to, we're wrong. We have all the same thing. As we get through all these communities, we're going to see we have aspects of all of these communities. So the pursuit of holiness is consistent with all of Scripture and it's consistent with Yeshua's instruction to us. Because it's about holiness. He makes the way for holiness through His death and His resurrection and through the Ruach HaKodesh. He makes the way for it, but then we have to choose the way. And what, and what should our motivation be? Knowing that that's true, what, what, is, what should our motivation be? And in fact, what is the only thing that can actually motivate us in order to operate and pursue holiness? It's one word. Love. Love for our God, first. And love for our fellow man, second. And that through that, that we would desire not to sin against the Lord and we would desire not to sin against our fellow man. That's the motivation. That's the Lord's motivation. His motivation is because He loves us. He does all these things and holds us accountable and all the things we don't like. His motivation is love, which means our motivation also needs to be love. And that's what He's telling the Messianic community. The motivation has to be right. If we don't have the right motivation, we're going to get it wrong. If we do something for somebody because we think we're going to profit from it, that is not the right motivation. So we have to look inward. We have to look, what, what is our motivation? What, what makes us tick? Why are we doing this thing or why are we not doing this thing? Why do we not relate to a person? Why do we, do we relate to a person? What do we do before God or not before God? What is our motivation in all those things? And if it isn't love, agape love, then we have a serious problem. you think it'd be so, it's a four-letter word. you think it'd be simple. The love of the world has destroyed everything in a sense. You know what I mean? That, Carnal love, that misunderstanding of what love is, has destroyed everything. It's the Shema. I taught about the first verse of the Shema You know, before we sang Michamolcha. Our motivation, love, Shema, I will love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might to the Lord first, to His people second. That's the Viahafta that we read, part of the Shema, Leviticus 19.8, that we will love our neighbors as ourselves. And the revelation is built around these two commandments, which are part of all the commandments. We always get in trouble when our motivation isn't love for the Lord our God and love for our fellow man as an agape love. We're always going to end up in trouble. Even with good intentions, we will end up in trouble. When we truly love Yeshua through Him, we can love ourselves and others, right? Amen? That's that agape love. Do, have, have we all learned how to love people in an agape mode versus the carnal love? Have we all made it there? We haven't. Some of us do it better than others. Some of us are newer at it than others. If you grew up with no agape love in your family, it is tough to learn it or tougher to learn it. That's, that's the truth. But agape love isn't always about things being sweet. It's about accountability. It's about discipline. It's about following the Lord our God. That's why this place to some isn't so easy. I'm not going to set in my, at the best of my ability, I'm not going to settle for the counterfeit that's offered in this world or even in the Messianic communities. I'm not going to settle for it. Does it mean we get it right all the time? No. But we'll address it, and we will try through the Holy Spirit to get it right. Do we fail sometimes? Do I fail sometimes? The relationship with Revelation is the prophes- of, in prophecy is about love and not loving, which is consistent with the rest of all of Torah from Genesis to Revelation. From Ephesians 6.24, grace be to all who love our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, With undying love. What's undying love? I know Some of us have probably said it and we've heard it, but do do we know what undying love is? It means that we never forsake it. It means that even when things are real tough, we still persevere to loving ourselves and loving one another. No matter the cost. But we can't make choices for what other people choose, but we can always choose what we're going to do personally. Sometimes it doesn't work out. These definitely relationships are two-way, right? They definitely are. And, and, and we all are imperfect in how we work these relationships. But if we really love God first and, we're, and we, we, we're committed to that, then we should be able to work it out. The Lord would say you can work it out. But because of the hardness of men's hearts, sometimes we don't. And I would hope, and I know the Lord would say, all right, you failed at this one, don't fail at the next one. I've lost relationships because I didn't handle them right. Will I pursue them? Yes. Do, I, do they always? No. They don't always come back. You know, I think Yeshua was lonely many times. He wasn't lonely in the fart of the Spirit with the Lord, but he was lonely, I think, many times because of being persecuted for who he was and the message he was bringing. And I think that's the human side of him, and I think that that's an appropriate side. If he didn't, or if he couldn't, there would be no reason for his, for his death and his resurrection. It wouldn't account for anything if he didn't know how we feel or the weaknesses that we have. We need help. 2 Thessalonians 3.5 May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and the perseverance with the Messiah gives. We need help. The Holy Spirit is here to help us. If we allow the Holy Spirit to help us, He will help guide us back into a better relationship or help us to see what we got wrong or what we got right. The Holy Spirit will help us understand how the Lord views it versus how the flesh... That's hard for us. The flesh the flesh likes to go into defense mode. All the time. The flesh will always go in defense mode and it's usually aggressive, right? The best defense is an offense. The flesh feels, the attack, what is it will do? It will go after the other flesh, try and get up on top of it. And the Holy Spirit, we don't have to do that. We have to do that. You know, I grew up in a family, you know, my, my dad was a yeller. And I, I learned from very long on that the louder you yelled, the more authority you had. I'm sure some of you have experienced that. The louder you get, the more authority you have. And you're more right as louder you are. I, I grew up with that too. I've had to battle that. I, I've gotten, I've won, I've got a lot of victories, but it still happens sometimes. But yeah, yelling louder means you've got more authority in your writer. But it's about power and submission, isn't it? You try and beat the other person down and get over on them. Whether you're right or wrong, it doesn't make any difference. It's still a sin, right? It can never be right if it's a sin, right? Do we understand that? You might be technically right about something, but if you get it right the wrong way, it's still a sin. That's a hard thing to understand. He's all going, but I was right! Yeah, but you destroyed that person. That's a sin. Look, I can, I, I, I'm speaking from experience. Believe me. From the receiving end and the giving end. Throughout Revelation is an underlying theme in the midst of suffering, right? So this is an underlying theme right, that the Lord directs our, 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 our hearts, but it's an underlying theme that there's always this persecution and suffering when we're trying to operate in the Holy Spirit. Go we'll figure. And that's why it's wrong when people tell you that, oh, if you have the Holy Spirit, don't worry about evil. That's absolutely wrong. The devil is always clashing with the Holy Spirit. Always! He's not going to beat the Holy Spirit, but he can beat us up. Right? You, you know, see the difference? We, as believers, we are persecuted by Hasatan and his minions. You all are. There's no such truth as if you're a believer, everything's good, don't worry about the, the, the powers and principalities. That's ridiculous. Half of the New Testament is about powers and principalities. Why do we need the armor of God if we are totally victorious and there isn't anything we've got to do and we're not going to get attacked? What about those flaming arrows? Who are they coming from? Robin Hood? Not my notes, by the way. <laughs> I like those moments. Right? Romans 8.39 Neither powers above nor powers below nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which comes through Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. So what does that tell us? Well, it's telling us that there's this theme of repentance, right? That if we're willing to follow the Lord, we can turn it around. And that is the theme of Revelation too, especially the chapters we're talking about right now, is about getting right and being repentant for where we have fallen short so that we can get back on the right track. So the Lord's not sharing this to us in this day and age just for it to be a history lesson. He's trying for us to look at where we're at so that we can make the appropriate decisions about where we're at so that we can be better. You can't get that if you just make the book of Revelation allegorical or historic. You know, when I first started the study, telling you the different ways you can look at it, it's a living, breathing document for us just like the book of Genesis or the book of Acts. It's a living, breathing document to us. And if, but if we resign it to nothing, it will be nothing. Ah! It's history. Ah! It's all allegorical. Ah! It can mean anything I want. So... It's about us being able to look at what repentance we need to do that we can increase our faith in the Lord and reward or consist, and the rewards are consistent throughout the text. We, in, in order to attain ourselves, to in order for us to get the reward in heaven, there's a lot of things with us personally that have to go on for that to happen. That has to do with faith and obedience and trust. You can't say you love the Lord if you haven't repented. Well, you can say it, I guess, but it wouldn't be true before the Lord. We fool ourselves sometimes, or we've been fooled. Look, we've all been fooled by false doctrines, mistranslations, bad translations, added words taken out. We've all been fooled. That's why the Holy Spirit is so important for us. From 2 Timothy 2.22, So flee the passion of youth, and along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, pursue righteousness, faithfulness, love, and peace. That's what I just said. I'm saying it again. I didn't make it up. 1 Corinthians 16.22 If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse on him. Maranana ta, o our Lord, come. There it is. We need to pursue righteousness, faithfulness, love and peace. Those things all come together. They're all going the same batch. And if we're not doing it with those things, if we're not willing to give up the flesh, if we're not willing to hear God's Word at its simple text, how do we get there? most of the body of Messiah is more interested in figuring out what what they don't have to do instead of what the Lord desires of it. And when we take out what the Lord wants, it becomes a vacuum and we fill in what the flesh wants. From Revelation 3.19, As for me, I rebuke and discipline everyone I love, so exert yourselves and turn from your sins. Holy smokes! The Lord says, if I'm not happy with you and you say you're one of mine, I'm going, I'm going to discipline you. And I'm going to discipline you and I'm going to discipline you and I'm going to discipline you till you turn or you'll be destroyed. I didn't write it. That is what it means. That is what the parshat of the text means. The Lord says, I will pursue you. If you say you love Me, I will pursue you. Even if you do some things right as He does with Pergamos, He will still pursue you to change the things that are wrong. He will not let you stay the way you are. The more, at least that I, the more I discern the Revelation, the more I or we can see what has not changed. Maybe that's good. Maybe it's bad. Probably a combination of both. From Revelation 18.3, so I'm jumping way ahead because it's relevant. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of God's fury caused by her whoring. Well, that can't be good. Yes, the kings of the earth went whoring with her and from her unrestrained love of luxury the world's businessmen have grown rich is that allegorical no that is a literal judgment and we find ourselves in the midst of that a lot of us wouldn't consider ourselves rich businessmen clearly i'm not but it's not that's not the focus the focus is that these people have put more trust in themselves and the power of their finances or whatever and they put it before god i don't mean before him i mean ahead of him that and we clearly see that our world Maybe 2,000 years ago, it was the same, but it was different in magnitude. This world is all about power and finances, isn't it? The devil's all about powers and finance and those kinds of things. He uses all those things. To get. The devil uses them to get what they want, what he wants, which comes to the destruction not only of those that have the wealth, but those that don't. All the nations, for all the nations have, are, have drunk of the wine of God's fury. And, and did they repent? No! They went whoring. When God disciplined them, they went whoring. That's the world we live in. God disciplines the world. We see it all over. But does, that be, does the world repent? No. They went whoring. Israel went whoring. The nations now go whoring. There's a parallel between Israel and the nations in this verse. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of God's fury and caused by her whoring. Yes, the kings of the earth went whoring with her. Talking about Babylon, the spirit of Babylon. The nations didn't reject evil or sin. They joined it. That goes back to the readings we have. Why did God destroy the nations that that He destroyed the nations as Israel went in? Because they had been whoring and had rejected God. Same thing. So by reading that Scripture, am I taking a step ahead? Well, maybe yes. And no too. Why? Because the past is the present, isn't it? The future is the present and the past, isn't it? The body of the Messiah clearly is participating in sin. Revelation is to the believing community, quote-unquote, not to the world. God is addressing sin within the body of Messiah. We are the body of Messiah and there's still sin in the body of Messiah. We don't like hearing it maybe, but if we don't acknowledge it, it will never change because of the hardness of our hearts. You can have the Holy Spirit and still have the hardness of your heart. The Holy Spirit will just sit back, let you do your thing. We talk about another community, Thyteria. I don't know if I'm even saying it. Thyatira? Yeah, there you go. Everybody said it differently. Thank you. <laughs> there's that Greek stuff going on. I... They also look a bit like us today. It talks about in talking about this Messianic community. It talks about the spirit of Jezebel. We've heard that before, haven't we? Where does the spirit of Jezebel come? Where do we first see it? Where? Who? What? what it was in regards to? She tried to take uh, Elijah down, didn't she? She was. She and Her. Her. her the king Ahab who tried to destroy Elijah. And with all of their prophets of Baal and Elijah defeated 400 prophets, right? And then she went after him and he got chicken. The spirit of Je- that's from the spirit of Jezebel. A spirit of Jezebel is one that, does, that, that rejects God, that does, does not acknowledge God and puts her own trust in her... In that spirit puts your own trust ahead of trusting God. And it also has to do with pursuing the people of God and crushing them. There's still a Jezebel spirit today, don't you think? And I don't think that Jezebel's spirit is just, is just feminine, right? The spirit of Jezebel is all that. It's, I, I don't really think it has a gender to it, but it gets its name from Jezebel. Even the name sounds nasty, doesn't it? Jezebel. Jezebel. Don't name your children Jezebel. Or Ahab, for that matter. Or any of those. They're kind of weird. Jezebel was a false prophet, too. She was a false prophetess. And she leads Israel into sexual sin, doesn't she? That's the anti Messiah, isn't it? This is a soulmate. This Jezebel spirit in this church community is is the spirit of Jezebel from old. And, and if you want to read about it, you can find it's in the stories in First Kings, right, chapter sixteen and following and an interesting read and, and, and it can be relevant to today. You know, I don't think it takes much for us when we're thinking about these facts that we're talking about Revelation. It reminds me of places like Sodom and Gomorrah doesn't it? A lot of things going on here. Same things that were going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. The body of Messiah today is full of people who teach secret doctrines, like sacred name, that there's power in other names. Name it and claim it. And others that are not so obvious, it would even include the Hebrew Roots movement and variations of that, uh, of which they teach that lots of things are okay or mysterious and if I know something you don't, then you're, then you're on the short end of the stick. But what it is, it's something that comes from way back along with the Nicolotians, and that is Gnosticism. The idea of secret knowledge and secret names is Gnostic thinking, and it goes back over 2,000 years. It's not new. These demons keep operating. We may call them different names, but they are what they are. Gnosticism is the belief that there is secret knowledge that certain people get that overrides all the Scripture and that they don't have to share with anybody and it makes them powerful within this world. And there's a lot of it. Two house, covenant. A lot of these things, they all intermesh. and they're, they're, Nothing's clean, especially today. Theologies are not clean. Denominations aren't clean. They're, it's messy. Messianic Judaism is messy. I think that's why we call it Messianic. It's really messy Judaism. Let's face it. We we talk about the, 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 the Gentile church community, and we're all messed up in the messianic Jewish community. We don't agree on half the stuff, right? It's like you know, we go, look at the church; they're all disorganized. Look at the messianics; they're all disorganized too. Yeah, but we know better. You've got to be careful. That could be Gnosticism, right? Gnostic. Oh, somehow we know something secret that somebody else doesn't know. If God's going to reveal it to the community, He's going to reveal it to all the community. He's not going to just give it to one guy or one group. That's why the Bible is ours. It, it reveals what God wants to reveal. If you're going to make up your own story, you're messed up. We don't want you in the Messianic movement. Though. We're so messed up already. We don't need any more coming in, right? Gnostic thought believes that you can only be saved through secret knowledge and mysteries. Within the ancient Messianic communities and the body today, its destructive power thrives. It's very destructive. You know, it's one of, the, one of the things that you know I've been really praying about for a while and I've shared with Dan and... and, and Leon, and, and a few others that, that struggling with, but maybe struggle isn't quite the word, but even within the movement, people use a lot of different names for the Messiah. And, I, and I, it's a problem. I'm not, even sure, I'm, not, I'm not even comfortable at this point calling God God because it's a very generic term that doesn't identify who He is. If you're going to say God is Yeshua, Adonai, great, that identifies who He is. But if we're just saying God, everybody uses that. And, and I'm not saying we're changing it. I've been battling with it because I want to get it right, you know, and, and it's, not about secret, it's not about sacred names, but there is a sacred name. Yeshua is the sacred name, right? There's power in the name. So I don't want to get you off track, but, but there's so many other names. Everybody, You know, people out there using Elohim and yud heh and, and Yahweh, and half the names aren't even legitimate. Jehovah. It's not a legitimate name. But that's one of the easier ones. And, and so it's so difficult. If, that's why I try... Well, I pray that the Lord's directing. I try and keep it simple. Yeshua, I? they're good, one and the same, because He says He is He. That's another message sometime. But but it's the reason is because I don't want we 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 need to make sure we're not falling into the trap of Hasatan and all these other things. We don't need to return to Gnosticism or to being Nicolotians or any of those things. And unfortunately, most of us. You don't know what those things are. And there's others in the Bible, but you, most people don't know what they are. They don't know what they represent. They don't know what they did. They don't know what they're not doing. They don't know what they... And not that we have to have all that knowledge, but we need to know when the Scriptures bring it up and we need to know something about it. What does it mean? Us, Me. You. And, and, and interesting. It's, you know going through the book of Revelation this way is really, is, is really helping me to learn how to explain some of these things and, and, and remind me things or teach me new things about the struggle that we all are in to hear just the truth, right? So an example is churches or synagogues led today by women with no men in authority. That's a problem. There's no accountability in the accountability structure that the Lord designed. I'm not saying men are better than women. I'm just saying the order is not right. You know, some people might be unhappy with it. I've been consistent with it and some people don't agree with it. I think women are super valuable. In fact, They're they're more valuable, I believe, than I am. Without the women in the ministry of this synagogue, it doesn't work. And I recognize that. My own wife is not an elder. We don't believe women should be elders. They have other roles. They can be deaconesses, you know, shamashim. But it has to do with God's order and His authority. I don't have the authority to change the pattern. Nor should I. I know that some people may be unhappy about that or whatever, but but look at the Scriptures with your heart and and what, what they actually say. Without Regina, I would, this congregation wouldn't exist. This wouldn't, because we need to be, you know, husband-wife, men and women, men and women together that, that bring it to, to make it right. Because we all have gifts, and they, all the gifts have to come together. Men don't have all the gifts. In fact, I would argue sometimes women have more gifts than men. Why? Because their hearts are softer, generally. I mean, I met some whopper women that are just really super stubborn, but in general, women, are, <laughs> women are are. Or have, a, or have an easier heart to the Lord and are willing to serve and, 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 and do things and, and that are outside of what they did. or what, just, It's just different. And maybe I don't know how to explain it very well, but I've been around women long enough, especially my wife, 31 years with her. That's enough to learn a lot about anybody, right? But there's an amazing thing about women and the unity of bringing a body together with men and women and how, how if you let it do it God's way, how anointed it is. Women are not less than. I realize that is what I'm talking about here, but I want to be really clear. Women are not less than. Women are our equals. We have a joint calling together, men and women. They're just different emphasis. Think about how Elijah was disarmed and fled, being chased by Jezebel, a woman. Elijah, you're such a wuss. Some sins are birth. We pass things on. So I have here this, I wrote down. This is an important scripture quoted by Yeshua. Um in chapter 2, verse 27, uh, to the Thereturians, whatever, Mr. Smith, I used to say. But it, it, it repeats Psalm 2, verses 7-9. through nine. I will surely tell you the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Shall, you shall break them with a rod of iron. So chapter 2 in Revelation is talking about this rod of iron. This is, a, this is directly attached to what Psalm chapter 2 talks about, the rod of iron, and that as believers, faithful, we will break it. You can't understand the book of Revelation without understanding the Hebrew Testament. There's a lot of important... And, and I could spend months talking about these things, so I'm giving you little bits and pieces, putting them together. But it's amazing, because a lot of the things that are said in every book are being reset in other parts of Scripture particularly in the new covenant they're quoting the hebrew scriptures you shall break them with a rod of iron though this though 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 this relates to the man child i have that in quotes right in chapter 12 he's talking about the man child in chapter 12 in revelation yeshua it's because the man, and the man child is who the man child is yeshua right when it's designated, at least this is from the complete Jewish Bible, the man-child, that is Yeshua in chapter 12. Yeshua is also speaking of the faithful who will run, rule with Him, if, there's a big if here, we turn back to Yeshua and His ways, we will reign. We reign with Yeshua when we repent and we turn back. And that's why... Yeshua gives this revelation to John because these are, there's these seven messianic communities and they're out of sorts and the Lord desires that they shall rule with Him. And He's saying what's wrong so that they can repent, repent and be restored so that they can rule with Him and the generations that come after Him when He returns. Important Scripture. There, there's qualifications for us. Yes, can we make it on our own? No, but, but God expects that when we repent and with the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we will be transformed because He's made the way for it. The Lord will not accept, I can't do it. He will accept, I won't. I always made it a policy in business. People would always tell me, oh, I I can't do that. And I would say, no, I believe that you won't do it, and I'll accept that, but I won't believe that you can't do it. So if we are sons of the Lord, as sons of the Lord identified in Romans 8, 16-19, which I'm going to read, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our own spirits that we are children of God. And if we are children, Then we are also heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with the Messiah, provided we are suffering with Him in order to also be glorified with Him. Suffering, the right kind of suffering comes when we are obedient with the Lord and people are beating the hell out of us, right? Because we're faithful to the Lord. That glorifies God. If you're just suffering because you keep doing criminal acts and thrown in jail, that is not what this is talking about. Verse 18, I don't... I don't think the sufferings we are going through now are even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us in the future. That's good news, right? Some of you are really suffering, right? They get good. Verse 19, The creation waits eagerly for the sons of God to be revealed. Wow, that's an interesting thing. The creation waits eagerly for the sons of God to be revealed. Well, who are the sons of God? Well, the sons of God, and, and I don't know if I'm gonna, where I'm teaching it, but... The sons of God, it's talking about us. We, men, women that are faithful to God are the sons of God to be revealed. When we stand up believers, the sons of God are revealed. Can I have an amen. When we stand up, we are the sons of God when we stand up because they will be revealed. We are revealed when we are willing to stand against the world and stand for Messiah. That's when you become a son of God and you are revealed to the world and then the world will hate you for it. Verse 20, for the creation was made subject to frustration. Dang. Not willingly, but because of the one who subjected it. But it was given a reliable hope that it too would be set free from its bondage to decay and would enjoy the freedom accompanying the glory that God's children will have. This is the process. The Lord's not focused on all the junk that's going on. He's focused on the reward for us. And if we'll be focused on the reward, all the bad stuff won't matter. I know. I know that's hard. None of us. I don't think none of us. Most people don't want to go. I, I want to die, or I'm ready to die. Most people don't. I mean, people that are extremely unhealthy, and you know, we, you know. And there's, I have compassion for that. But you know, the Lord gets to choose the time, and the day, and the moment. Don't be deceived. Don't let this world's harshness compromise your relationship with the Lord. Is this not our position today? As faithful and observant. Believers, that should be our position if it isn't. That we are sons of God. We are the bride to the groom of Messiah. Don't let the sufferings of this world today be worth comparing to the glory to come. Look, that takes faith. And, and the Lord is reminding them in the book of Revelation, He's reminding the Messianic community what's at stake. And He's reminding them because these seven communities were in bad shape. And He's actually trying to encourage them. And we need to be encouraged through all Scripture, but particularly as we study Revelation, that we can find the encouragement in it and that it doesn't say anything different than the rest of Scripture says. It's kind of like the exclamation point, right? Revelation is a picture of Romans 8. So I encourage you to read Romans 8. God is faithful to His Word and His promises. Amen? So next week we're going to really get into chapter 3 and beyond. Same bat time, same bat channel. Amen.